0: And then she thinks that she understands worship, but of course Jesus is the one who points out to her, and I'll slim this down, that there is coming a day where you will worship God neither here nor there or anywhere, but you will worship God in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus again is restating how we are to worship God. There is a particular way to worship God. And therefore, we're led to another question, and that is well, does it make any difference?
1: In other words,
0: if we don't worship God the way that we do here, will it make any difference if we do it a different way? I mean, this is a really important question. And it's important for me as a pastor because as I look around other churches, And as I look at church history and I ask the very basic question, how is God being worshipped by the people who attend and gather together? And why is that such an important question? It's an important question because we become like what we worship. And so the very structure and focus of our worship will tell you a lot about the people. It'll tell you what they are becoming like. As we said in Psalm 115, Jeremiah 2, Isaiah 6, Matthew 13, these are just wonderful examples that show us over and over again that people are created as worshippers by the creator God and become like what they worship. And so whatever you love the most, whatever you desire the most, whatever you put your most trust in, your life is being shaped by that more than God if it is not God. You will become like the thing that you are devoted to the very most. And so now we begin to understand, again on another level, that if we do not get our worship of God correct, then we cannot stop ourselves from becoming like something else. Because we are always becoming by fill in the blank. You are always becoming by doing what you do, saying what you say, loving what you love, devoted to what you're devoted to, you're always becoming by those things. And so we become by worshipping the triune God in spirit and truth, the very people that God wants us to be. And the moment that is not happening, we don't stop becoming, we are just becoming something else. Hence why we need to be renewed not only back to the covenant relationship with God, but we need to be renewed in the right way so that we actually become the people that God wants us to become. And so if we don't get worship correct, if we don't understand worship as it is spoken in God's word, then the people of God suffer because they are not becoming like what God has created them to be. You will always be, as a people, what you love the most. And you will probably be nothing more than that. You will always be defined by what you love the most. And I think I raised this question in Sunday school probably a number of weeks ago, and I'll just do it here. Don't answer out loud, just answer very quickly in your head. And the question is this. What is the one thing that if you lost it tonight and it was gone forever, and you could never have it again, that would make you not want to live tomorrow? Well, whatever answer you came up with, that's the God you worship. That's the God you worship. Now, you would say, well, if I knew you meant Jesus, then of course we would have all said Jesus. But the reason I stated the question the way that I did is because you cannot direct the heart that quickly. Your heart will default to the very thing that you love the most. And either it has been revealed to you at this very moment that actually you are loving God first or actually you're loving something else more. That that is what your heart and your mind defaults to almost immediately. Hence why you need to be here this morning and be renewed back into thinking very clearly about what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Because your mind drifts so quickly from exactly what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. So we are prone, as we read in Exodus 32, to idolatry. We're a people bent towards idolatry, and we constantly need to be renewed out of that idolatry, back into relationship with God. So let's see how this happens to Asaph in Psalm 73. Notice how this is, from beginning to end, a wonderful example of covenant renewal, in the sense that he is coming back. When he comes back into worship in verse 17, it is then he begins to see things clearly. It is then that he begins to be renewed. But up to that point, he is slipping. And what we have is a man who is remembering and a man who is reflecting of how his feet had almost slipped. That is, that he slipped away from total communion with God or at least um, communion from God. And he slips into idolatry or at least into envy. And those two go hand in hand because they lead to all other types of sin. But the other thing that goes hand in hand is this relationship between faith and sight. Because when you slip from faith in God's word, you can no longer see things clearly. Never forget that if you want your children to see the world clearly, that the way they see the world clearly is by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Christians see by hearing. Okay? Christians see by hearing. And without that, we fall into idolatry because we're no longer regulated by the word of God. And what we have here in Psalm 73 is the relationship between faith and sight. Notice verse 3, that he was envious of the arrogant when when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. In other words, it is his sight that is getting him into trouble. Now, of course, sight is given to us by God. It is, a, it is a good thing, but it is not a good thing when it is corrupted by what we see. And so as he sees the prosperity of the wicked, he is then envious of it. His sight gets him into trouble, and his sight is overtaken a life of faith. And so without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to see clearly. And so, this man is blinded by his sight, verse 3, because the moment he sees the wicked and how envious he is of them, he no longer sees himself properly understood. It's not until he comes back into the sanctuary that he begins to renew his sight. And so, faith comes from the word of God leading us back to God. Sight is a gift given to us by God in the created order but that sight can be corrupted as we look at what our neighbor has, the 10th commandment. And as we look at what our neighbor has and we begin to desire what they desire, what they are desiring after and have, and we become envious, we are then led astray by sight. But when we are being led astray by sight, we are actually becoming blind because we don't actually see the world as it really is. We see it as we perceive it and as others perceive it. And so you'll notice in verse three that he sees, and then again in verse 17, he perceives, or rather he discerns. And though the Hebrew words are different between the seeing, the physical seeing in verse three, and the perceptive understanding in verse 17, they are different Hebrew words conveying that one is a physical sight and the other is a perceptive sight, an understanding that leads to knowledge, Nonetheless, what is really happening here is the man who is blinded by what he sees is now restored by what he perceives, discerns, by coming back into the sanctuary of God. Now he sees properly. Why? Because Christians see by hearing. We don't see by sight, we see by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so if you want to see the world clearly, then hear God's word clearly. That's how you see properly. Don't think that you can see what is happening in the world by looking at the world. You can't. You can only see what is happening in the world by reading it through the lens of Scripture, being regulated by the word of God. And so he confesses that <clears throat> God is good to Israel. Surely God is good to those who pure in heart, verse 1. He reflects on how his foot had almost slipped and it almost slipped because he became envious of the prosperity of the wicked. Look at how much they have. And this only changes the moment he comes back to the sanctuary. Verse 17. Everything begins to change the moment he comes back to worship God. And so notice in verses 4 to 16 that what he observes leads him to at least a couple false conclusions. The first false conclusion is this, that the wicked don't have any troubles. They're just rich and happy and full, and they, they just, <clears throat> they have everything that they want. Well, that's not true, but how quickly it is that we come to believe such lies when we just observe that without <clears throat> a greater understanding of all things. Okay, that's the false conclusion. And what would happen if you lived a life after those conclusions? Right? I'm going to live my life in light of those conclusions. What do, you, what do you think you would pursue? And then the second conclusion that he comes to, which is also wrong in verse 13, is that he considers his faithfulness before God as an act of pure vanity. It is a waste of time that I confess my sins every week. It is a waste of time that I get up in the morning and read God's word and pray to him because it's just not making any difference. I do it day after day, and it's not making a blind bit of difference. I'm struggling, they're not. I'm in need, they have plenty. And so he begins to, this is an act of blindness, that by looking at the world and understanding it on its own terms, he then considers his own faithfulness to God as a waste of time. And then his spiritual life, for want of a better word, drops off. His communion with God in prayer and the reading of God's Word and pursuing the faithful things is just... Why? Because there's no point to it. And most people don't pursue things if they can't see a reason for doing so. And so now his faithfulness towards God has been corrupted. Not only has his sight been corrupted in the world in which he lives, because he can understand things, or rather, he thinks he can, but he can't. But it has also corrupted his faithfulness. So guess what happens? He doesn't turn up to church, and then he he pursues things that he shouldn't be pursuing. Instead of resting, uh, you're filling your Sunday or the Lord's day with amusement or work or entertainment, something to do because you have the time to do it, when in fact it is a replacement because you have not yet learned how to rest. You're not resting. And therefore, because you don't know how to rest, you wake up Monday, you wake up Monday morning tired. And I, I was introduced to this idea by, through a book called Michael Norton, which the Almansons introduced me to him because he was speaking at their house, And then I read his book and I thought, why have I never seen this before? I had, but it was just refreshing to see it again, that how quickly we replace the worship of rest on a Sunday with amusement after church is finished because we don't know what to do with the rest of the day. Instead of resting being understood as reflecting on what God has done for you in Christ Jesus... We see it is everything else we can do that we're not doing when we're working, that we can't do when we're working. And so there's a distortion now of rest. And so <clears throat> instead of your children perhaps resting on the Lord's Day, and then you fill them with amusement, you fill them with entertainment, and then you wonder why it's such a struggle Monday morning to get them to learn. Well, they're not ready for work if they've not rested properly. And they're not ready for rest if they're not even working properly because rest just becomes tiring. <laughs> you just, if you're not working, there's almost nothing more tiring than not working. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but you know, I went, I went the dads and lads camping and the, the Thursday evening, I just couldn't believe how relaxed I was because it was the end of the day and sat by the, sat by the campfire breathing in all the smoke, <clears throat> which has still got me. How relaxing is that? But then I woke up Friday and I was fidgeting. What am I going to do with myself? Normally my Fridays are so structured, I know what I do at this time and this time and this time. And now I'm out camp and I don't know what to do with myself. Well, in the same kind of way, we get to Sundays and we don't know what to do. Because we're so busy, 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 that we then think that rest needs to be another form of amusement. And so we're not resting properly. And that is a crucial issue. And so notice how Asaph finds no rest. In fact, he finds the, the whole endeavor, verse 16, a wearingsome task. That life under those conditions is wearingsome. It is, it is tiring. I am tired. I am fed up. There is no rest in envious idolatry, verse, three. verse 13. He's a tired man. Verse 14, notice he is a stricken man. Verse 15, he is a convicted man. Verse 16, he is a confused man. He is weary, he is tired, he is worn out by his envious desires of others. And so idolatry and envy is a distortion, or rather it distorts life. It ruins life for what it is and you can enjoy it, and then, of course, you can't enjoy rest because it is distorted both. So you no longer enjoy work, and then you no longer enjoy rest when you have it because you have to fill it with something else, and then you're tired to go back to work because you haven't rested properly. It's just a massive distortion. And so now you need to be renewed. This is the day where we can reset ourselves to the primacy things. That is the worship of God. So, verse 17. Everything changes, verse 17, is the turning point. The turning point of self-interest, the turning point of self-pity, the turning point of becoming envious or once being envious to seeing things clearly happens when he comes back to worship. He says... Verse 16, but when I thought of how to understand this seemed to me a wearisome task until, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God and discerned their end. Worship resets us. Worship is what causes the distortion to go away. Worship, the true worship of the trying God, allows their sight to be restored through perceiving things as they really are and not as how we see them. Asaph, in the first half of this psalm, sees things and understands them in their own light. And then he ends up with a distorted life because what he sees is making him blind. But when he comes back into the worship of God, verse 17, he begins to perceive things clearly because his sight has been restored. His sight has been restored through the proper worship of God. And now he begins to see the end of these people that he was once envious of, that they will want, they will be separated from God because of their unfaithfulness to them. Their end is not prosperity, but it is destruction. And now he begins to see how privileged a position he has because the God who held his hand has not let him slip into that same type of truly vain living. And so now we begin to see over and over again in verse 22 and 23 that you only begin to see yourself clearly in the worship of God. Notice verse 22. Verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, that is, towards God. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Well, the interesting thing is he only recognizes that the moment he comes back into worship. When he comes back into worship, he's able to reflect that his foot had almost slipped, but the reason it didn't is because God is more faithful than him. His obedience to the covenant is imperfect. And so now he is restored back into the true worship of God that he begins to see himself in the true light. God will will allow you to go through whatever he needs to allow you to go through to bring you to the conclusion that you should have always come to in the first place. Sometimes you just cannot teach a person um, they have to literally be put through it so that they can see for themselves. Now, this is interesting for a couple of reasons, because this man begins to understand something that everyone else cannot understand, and that is the wicked are going to be judged. They can understand it. They're carrying on in their wickedness. They're carrying on in their uh, you know, wicked ways and they don't see their end, but now he sees their end. And I don't think he necessarily takes pleasure in their end as much as he takes pleasure in the fact that now he can see things clearly. To put it simply, there is no rest in envy. There is no rest in idolatry. There is no rest in anything else other than the proper worship of the triune God. Covenant renewal worship in many ways sets us up perfectly for a day of rest because it focuses our mind and heart and attention on what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, which you could spend the rest of the day focusing on and never get to the bottom of. So covenant renewal then is how we rest. Let me try and wrap some of these things up as we close. The energy and time that you waste in disobedience can never be restored. It's gone. It's just gone. And so the striving that you have done and the amusing of yourselves to death is something that you can only escape by worshipping God properly understood. The only way you can escape self is by worshipping God properly. And so when we speak of renewal, we are not speaking of the covenant being renewed. We are speaking of ourselves being renewed from the envy, from the idolatry, from the inability to rest, from a lack of faithfulness, from imperfect obedience. We are being renewed back to the very covenant um, that we have in Christ Jesus. And when we reflect, properly reflect, on what we have in Christ Jesus, We recognize then that we have always been guided by God's counsel, and afterwards we will be received into glory. There is no need to be envious of anything. In fact, the moment envy creeps up in your life, you have become blind. You can no longer see things as they really are. And so Asaph shows us that the only way to live a close and clean life with God is to live a close and clean life with God to stay close to reflect perfectly uh, upon the Lord God and so here's the exhortation and it's a question and that is what are you becoming by what are you becoming by having too much what are you becoming by having too little what are you becoming by wanting more What are you becoming by wanting what others have? What are you becoming by trying to achieve all that you are trying to achieve? What are you becoming by? Because we cannot help but become something by something else. What are we becoming by worshipping God in spirit and in truth? Well, we're becoming the person that God intends us to be. what are we becoming by all the other things that we participate in, all the other things that we love and are devoted to? The point here is that Asaph shows us that the world around us shapes the people of God, and it can shape them in such a way that they can then consider their own faithfulness to God a waste of time. And it's only the worship of God that can bring us back into the place where we can truly see what we are becoming or what we had become by not worshipping God truly. Never forget that you are always becoming something. And the reason we enter into a service of covenant renewal is because we are a people of imperfect obedience who must worship God in spirit and in truth so that we can become the person that we are meant to be in Christ Jesus, both now and, of course, forevermore. Worship, then, is the resetting of your sight through the hearing of God's word. Worship is the resetting of your sight to the things of God through the hearing of God's word. Never forget that as Christians, you see by hearing. You become by hearing God's word. You become what you're meant to be by the hearing of God's word, by participating in the things of God, like the singing, the confession, the reading of God's word, the hearing of God's word, the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup, the wine. This is how we become what we are meant to be, because we are worshipping God as God ought to be worshipped. This is why we have a service of covenant renewal. Amen. Let me pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you that even though our feet like Asaph has have almost slipped at times, that we have not slipped altogether because of your covenantal love that keeps us safe and secure both now and forevermore. We pray, Father God, that we would be ever more mindful of our communion with you and that we would recognize that true rest is to rest in the finished work of Christ which we can reflect upon rather than amusing ourselves to death with other things. In Jesus' name, amen.